Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. Thanks for listening to this real conversation. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit Hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to another Real Conversation. I've had a lot of these over the years, and i got to say, you know, from time to time, I'm, I'm having a discussion with somebody that I've, A, never met before in person, and B, um, don't know a lot about what, what he or, or she does. And, and in this case, that certainly applies with David Dorr. He runs Dorr Asset Management, or Dorr, I think it's Dorr Capital Management, Dorr Asset Management. It's got to be something with the door on it, right? Uh, but, <laughs> That's right, yeah. But, but welcome, David. I appreciate uh, you making the time for us and uh, and talking about some things that a lot of people don't don't frequently talk about. Yeah, Keith, I appreciate it. Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I, I like to say uh, I have a go anywhere global macro strategy, but like you've you've redefined what going anywhere really means, and we're gonna you know really kind of get into that uh, the difference between you know maybe what I do and and what discretionary macro looks like. Um, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna traverse a, a lot of a, a lot of topics here, uh, but we'll we'll start with the with the big one. You know, just I mean, you have so much experience. First of all, building you know these types of platforms and and, and watching you know this crypto universe or uh, whatever you want to call it at this point. You know, watching it evolve, seeing the fraud, seeing you know where we've been. Yep. Um, maybe just give you like an, an opening volley on that. Like, what what did you think about FTX and where do you think we're at? Uh, a lot of people like to think that it's, you know, that was it. You know, it's all up, up and away again, right. and, and we can just go back to where we were. Yeah, so with, with FTX in particular, so while my background is in discretionary macro, what's unique with FTX is, and my views on it, were informed from the other part of my career, which was in fintech. It involved fintech in a very regulated environment. My most recent fintech was involved with uh, maintaining money transmission licenses in the United States at the federal and, and state level. And what what basically informed our views with what all these guys were doing was that it didn't make sense from an anti-money laundering, know your customer perspective. You could just look at the holes and the holes were all over the place that these guys were kind of skirting around things, if not just blatantly breaking the law. And we saw that from early on. We actually went to the uh, to the attorneys for the Miami mayor's office and told them that putting FTX's name on the Miami arena was a really, really dumb idea and something that they would regret later. And, you know, here 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 we are. Now, did did we predict that it was going to be such a implosion as we've seen? No, we certainly didn't. But the the writing was on the wall that that whole ecosystem is really polluted because there's a lot of conflicts of interest. You know, you have an exchange that's acting as a broker dealer, as an exchange, as a custodian, all these things all at once as a as a as a credit provider for leverage. You know, that's you have all those things packed together and it's just it's a recipe for disaster. And that disaster is not done. Right. You know, Binance is still lurking out there and we think Binance will blow up as well. I mean, what like we we've traversed talk about traversing planes. You go from legal fraud, people getting away you know with it because yep. everyone's making money and putting 
you know, never mind that, you know, like having the Formula One race, you know, sponsored by FTX in Miami, et cetera, et cetera, to now everybody lost the money and it's going to get regulated. How do you think that through? Because, you know, your main point is just that. It's like there's nothing Mm -hmm. else in, never mind the world, but certainly in America um, that is allowed to exist in this current operating structure um, without the regulation. So how do you think that that plays out or do you have an opinion on that? I do. So here's here's the real thing. This is where I think we kind of separate what's good from from blockchain and what we use the broader umbrella term distributed ledger technology because blockchain is really just one type. And so what what I would share with everybody is that there is unique opportunity and the idea of digital assets some of those may function as a commodity. Some of those may behave as a currency or an equity or something else. That's fine. There is opportunity in the broader digital asset category. The problem and the reason that we have so many scams and issues is that technologically tokens are unnecessary. The tech has evolved so far beyond that, but nobody discusses that because the money is in pumping and dumping tokens. And so you just see this really toxic system. I think the regulatory landscape, the SEC is just absolutely, you know, mounting a, a, a complete attack on, on crypto and in many ways, rightfully so. It will clear that stuff out of the system and we'll be left with kind of the, you know, the good tech that's out of there to, to build digital asset, you know, ecosystems. And that will be okay. But we're, we're a ways from that. I think we're still at least another year out before that gets all separated out. I mean, I look at it like it's it's quite literally like going to the casino and people might use that in, yes. analogy loosely or not. But I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it's just things you know that are moving on a, on, a, on a board. I mean, it could be could be watching yes. a game of Kino, for God's sakes. I mean, um, but exactly. like if you have like like this morning and, and when I wake up in the morning, I just try to show, you know, trending and non-trending price movements in, mm-hmm. in anything macro. And recently yeah. I've been highlighting the moves like if you in crypto, for example, like today, it's Chainlink, Uni, Uniswap, Ether, Algorand. Like this shit really moves around. I mean, and people yeah. really are chasing it again. So what what would the board is that board going to get eviscerated? Or is that just going to stop and it's going to have you know, you know yes. SEC regulated, broker dealer <laughs> rules regulated, and yeah. we're just going to have a like? Does it just stop? Like, do you just wake up one day and you're like, oh my god, I, I own this stuff? Yeah. I, yes. Definitely. I think what's going to happen is that so one of the problems, too, is that and this is why we've never played in crypto. Like, look, I'm a macro guy. I'm a trader. If it moves, I'll trade it. Yeah, me the too. Reason, I'm, like, I'm like really interested, right? but I don't want to wake up to, you know, whatever the hell Uniswap is and, and having the, you know my account decayed. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, take a look at the I can't remember the guy's last name, but there's a guy that was recently um uh, charged by the SEC, Avi something or other. He was actually manipulating these DeFi exchanges and these protocols. So he was using these kind of, you know, loopholes or exploits, almost hacking them and manipulating the, you know, manipulating those markets. And so now the SEC has charged him. So what you have is you've got, you have highly, highly, highly manipulated markets beyond the fact that they're not regulated. They're actually just outright, you know, most of the volume is just wash trading. Just straight up wash trading. And people forget, by the way, Coinbase was, you know, charged with these things, you know, and had to settle with the CFTC <laughs> right right before they went public. So this is not a this is not a new concept. And what people, you know, was really going to blow up the ecosystem for the better is when when Tether goes down. You know, Tether is absolutely, in my personal opinion, just a criminal, you know, syndicate. And and that needs to be flushed from the system. And, and that will probably be kind of the last phase. And, and then it'll get interesting. Tether's a criminal syndicate. Now I know somebody. I know somebody pretty well that's doing. Um, I can't like spill the beans on it. Let's just say that he's doing sure. a, a tell-all on it. And 
And he is like he would call it the same thing. And 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 yeah. you're you're a bright guy, and he's a bright guy. And it's not about being bright. It's it's actually mm-hmm. it's about being able to put something in context after you have all the experience yep. that you and the gentleman that I'm thinking of have. I mean, that's quite a statement. And I don't I don't know. I wouldn't know Tether from Uniswap if you, you stuck it right in my face. I, I don't know. Sure. But I believe yeah. that they're frauds. If you told me if somebody with reputation, because yes. you're not like you're not in the business. I've you know we've checked you out. Obviously, you're not in the business mm-hmm. of being like. You know, just trying to make you know, statements. Um, you know, this, like, yeah. can you just like elaborate on that on Tether specifically? Why? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and so, and exactly. So, with my statements, you know, for the record, I have no position. So, I'm not long or short on this or anything else. So, I'm, I'm speaking just from, you know, my, my area of expertise. So, one of the things, so as part of that fintech background, working in a regulated environment, and so we're based in the Cayman Islands, we're regulated there. I know offshore banking and offshore, you know, systems really, really, really well. And the, the thing that caught our attention many years ago with Tether was that. So, for example, if I operate as a money transmitter and I am custodying client assets, there's so much regulation for that. And banks that provide those services are very, very limited. Why? Because the risk for criminal activity is extremely high. Right. So because they can't peer into those accounts. So if I'm managing a thousand customer accounts in an omnibus account for moving money around, the bank doesn't know whose accounts those are. Now, Mm -hmm. they can knock on my door because I'm regulated and they can ask for it from time to time as an auditor and inspection. But day to day, they don't know who it is. So what we noticed was that Tether was using, they were actually tricking banks. So fraudulent activity just to open the account under all types of different names, not just the corporate name. And they were using those as omnibus accounts. By the way, this is not too dissimilar from what was happening with FTX, where money was actually being wired to Alameda which then flowed over to FTX or never made it to FTX. So Tether's been doing that from day one. And so we spotted that from early on. And we were like, there's no bank in the world that has proper compliance that would ever permit that ever zero. So that's that's why we've had that thesis from the very beginning. And I think the only reason they operate right now is because there's so much criminal activity linked to it that that's very valuable for um, investigative bodies, you know, whether that's the FBI, you know, working with the DOD or other international agencies. I think that's the last thing outstanding. And then that whole thing just melts to the ground. Well, I mean, tricking banks, opening accounts, this is kind of, this is, this is the base, most basic example that, that at least our audience would be familiar with is Silvergate, you know, Alameda, yes. the whole, the whole Correct. game within the game that, that Bankman Fried was playing, you know, not yep. explicitly through FTX, which the, the clients probably all thought that, that that's what they were doing. Um, but tricking banks, opening accounts, I mean, this is like, how long, how long could it, can it, or will it take for, for, for the FBI to just walk in and say, you're done? I mean, it shouldn't take that long. Well, so, so this is our, our theory. We don't know. I'm speculating here, but again, having been around regulatory environments and, and having investigative agencies around, they're always knocking on doors for purposes. It's not uncommon for an investigative body to work with an institution and, and keep it open so that they can monitor what's going on. So I admit, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much criminal activity going on. If you think about it, and that's, that's the irony of the blockchain. Everybody thinks that the blockchain's all anonymous. No, it's, it's heaven for investigators because you can trace everything. So that's what we suspect is going on. And when they kind of wrap up their criminal investigations, of which there's probably hundreds, then, then I think you'll see them shut the system down. So shutting it down, that's basically when I said DK my account or my account, yep. no longer, there's nothing. Like, so there's going to be a moment, you think, in time, in the not-so-distant future, where it's literally shut down. No more trading yes. polka dot coins, 
it's over. Yes, correct. And and as it relates to, to Tether specifically, it'll be two things. So one is it'll be shut down of any accounts that they actually have. So somebody is providing, you know, accounts for them. Now, Silvergate was probably one of them, Signature Bank, you know, Dell Tech in the Bahamas and, and, and others. But there's there's two aspects to uh, Tether being shut down. One is the accounts that, where there actually is money and then shutting them down operationally, technologically, where it's just fake money. I, I personally believe that the majority of the tethers that are outstanding is just it, it's nothing. That's just a it's a bullshit, you know, uh, you know, entry on their their digital ledger. And there's nothing there. Hmm. Now, what uh, I guess I want to get, get get to some other topics. Some people might want me to talk about this with you for uh, you know for the next forty five minutes. Um, but we have other things to talk about. The like yep. like if you take the people, you know, I just try mm-hmm. to boil this down to you know what you're talking about. You have an opinion on this. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. to like okay, communicate to the people like this is your risk. You know, you're still holding yep. this risk after FTX and everything you've gone through. You're still willing right. to trade Chainlink, Uniswap, Ether, et cetera, Tether. Right. Um, you know, how many, I don't know if there's, there's, there's no percentage, but what level of awareness of people that are either mm-hmm. in this stuff, participating in this stuff, back in this stuff, whatever, you, do you think actually understand what's going to happen here? Oh, you know, that's an interesting question. So, I, you know, we've looked at this. We've looked at the, the institutional firms. So there's some, you know, without naming names, there's some very big prop firms yeah. that are, of course, in this ecosystem, right? Uh, on names. the broker-dealer side, too, to your point, which is frightening. Correct. You know, because the rest of their it business is. really <laughs> does not comply with these types of... <laughs> these types not, of <laughs> a, not at all, you know. And there's, you know, one of the prop firms, Phil, there was a, uh, there was a hack on a protocol um, about two years ago. And this prop firm filled in a hole of about $300 million just overnight. Now, now, yeah, look, you, you come from the trading business. So do I. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, oh, you know, somebody else, you know, hacked this. But, you know, because we want to help protect the ecosystem, we'll just, you know, stroke a check for $300 million overnight and everybody's good. Let's keep playing. Let's keep playing the game. I mean, that to me is just a screaming red flag and is suggestive to me that some of the more sophisticated players have a, a really good understanding of what's going on. Oh, yeah. I believe I believe that some of the prop firms have mistakenly put the the authority to to trade crypto in in a younger generation that may not be disclosing or conveying the actual legal risk underneath that stuff to, you know, to management. Um, so that's that's my view. I, I think there's some, some smart people that know exactly what's what's going on. Well, that, that this is this um, this you can just see. OK, like, you know, for yeah, something exactly. that, I, that I actually trade like Bitcoin, um, mm-hmm. that is very it's as visible to me without naming mm-hmm. names as ODT mm-hmm. option trading and spies and Tesla. <laughs> to me, it's <laughs> great, all great it's analogy. actually all the same thing. I mean, the same yes, thing. And when they do it over and over and over again. Like I, I've thought about this a lot over, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's embarrassing to, or dating myself, but like 25 years on Wall Street almost, for a quarter century, mm-hmm. the question in my mind is why is somebody willing to take on orange jumpsuit risk? Because yeah. as, a, as a matter of principle, I would never do that to my firm, my family, uh, my family That's and firm right. in, in that order. But the, the, yeah. the sad answer to the question is that you have to pay a very small fine, 300 million bucks for somebody who'd made, if you make... 10 billion what what who cares i mean yeah. you know, it, right. what you're 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 going to keep the game going until you mm-hmm. get fined you know like to me right. there's a very small percentage of people in the world that run a shit ton of capital 
that are willing to take that risk until they're, you know, the, the fun cops come in, the orange jumpsuits go on. And those orange jumpsuits, are, it's really hard to get one on somebody, by the way. We've seen some really yeah. bad shit happen across capital markets for the last 25 years, and it's really hard Absolutely. to do. Um, but That's then you right. have the, the larger sum, like 99% of the people participating don't have the 1% of the flow, the order flow, that you know, the, the intelligence. Like you're saying, these guys know yeah. exactly what they're doing. And, and the people yes. are the ones that are getting picked off or getting pushed. You know, it's not any different to push me to buy Polkadot if you're going to buy Tesla. They're the same, you know, same retail investor who wouldn't know the difference. I mean, they don't know what the, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Totally, I, I couldn't agree more. That's that's actually a, a perfect analogy, Keith. So what, like, so so I guess we're agreeing to agree uh, that mm-hmm. there there is an there's an institutional force that is that is allowed to get away with it until they're not. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 my view. That seems to be what we're observing in real time. I mean, it's not I mean, Silvergate is so small ball relative to what we're alluding to here. I mean, it's 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 tiny. Uh, And 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 the (laughs) the level of sophistication those guys had. I mean, Cahodes is hilarious on it. I mean, he's like these are just like there's one thing to lie to people. There's another thing to just be dumb. I mean, like to be numb and dumb about it. I mean, um, anyway. Okay, good. Uh, so we spent, uh, 17 minutes on that. I could, I can go on and on. We have to bring you back, man. This is, this is big time stuff. And a lot of people are going to get hurt if they don't listen. Uh, same thing that Cahody said, you're saying it in different ways with tether with a different thing. Um, something I've tried to trade. Okay. And mm-hmm. everything that, like you said, I mean, I will trade cattle futures. I'll trade anything that ticks, yeah. provided that it's a market that I don't think has a front runner, somebody on both sides <laughs> of the trade. That's where I don't trade what we just talked about, because <laughs> it's exactly. just like it's just like ridiculous. You know, it's like yeah. trading against the house. Um, but European um, commodity markets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, and there are a bunch of ETFs that have to do, you know, whether they be these carbon carbon offset uh, credits or renewable this, mm-hmm. that and the other. Um, there's almost like an ETF for everything. There's not a lot of liquidity, but the ETFs still print yeah. print the volume if you want to trade it. So I'm really interested in that. Now, can you just give people sure. first, you know, tell them what that is um, and mm-hmm. explain to them what it is and how you trade it, and then and then hopefully it'll tell me how not to trade it. You know, all the mistakes that I've made so far. <laughs> sure, no problem. So what I'll do is I'll try and kind of maybe break this down into a couple fundamental pieces. So everybody certainly, you know, listening to this right now is familiar with the ESG movement and all the problems that go around that, right? Like most of ESG is just completely nonsense and is crap and doesn't work. The the real opportunity with what's going on in environmental legislation and climate change legislation is specific to environmental commodities, which is where we focus and we've traded those types of assets for 13 years. So while there are ETFs for these these instruments, we mm-hmm. prefer the futures contracts. The futures contracts, for example, in Europe on European allowances, which is the, the largest traded market that's about 200 billion in, in volume annually. So not a not a bad market at all. Mm-hmm. Plenty of liquidity in the, in the futures instruments. That market's very interesting. And what we've noticed is is kind of going overlooked because ESG gets all the headlines. That's a very political issue in the United States, obviously. Um, you know, different political parties having, you know, stances on that. But in Europe, in Europe, it's not as controversial. So in Europe, you have the, the Fit for 55, which is the idea of reducing emissions from where they're at right now by law. Okay, so this is a big difference. This isn't voluntary anymore. It's it's by legislation, 55 percent reduction by 2030. That is no small feat. 
And so that creates all these just kind of waves, macro waves that, you know, you and I would be looking for. Right. And a lot of those, one of the best ways to express that is in the instruments. So Mm -hmm. European allowances for those that want to play, that is the most liquid market um, to be able to do that. One of the other areas where we're so there's a, just to take a step and not sorry to interrupt, but sure. there's there's so you're there's sure. 200, 200 billion like if you add up all these mm-hmm. certificates that actually trade in the futures market, that's what you're saying that that market's that size. Yep, that's correct. That's yeah, it. the European that's a lot market. bigger than I thought it was. Well, okay, yeah. yeah. And then the so, the, the that, ETFs that I'm looking at are just based on you know the underlying for those ETFs or those certificates. Yeah, so you'll see the ETFs. I believe that there's ETFs now. We we don't trade them. I haven't looked at them for a moment, but I know there's a handful out there. And I believe that there's, if I'm not mistaken, they have uh, three types. They have the regulated market for Europe. The yep. second biggest regulated market is for California. So there's there's allowances for the California market. And then the third type, which is growing and did about $2 billion in volume last year, is the voluntary carbon market. Okay. So the voluntary market is 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 unregulated. And for companies that want to offset their their carbon footprint, they play in that market. Now that market is growing very, very, very quickly and is and is is really interesting. We're super active in that, but that's a that's ninety five percent of that market's an OTC market. Well, I mean, on the ETFs, I mean, it's it's actually like so. For example, I mean, Crane Shares basically has most of these. They have the mm-hmm. California one. I was just quite literally looking to trade this KEUA, which is Crane Shares European Carbon Allowance ETF. So I'm like, yes. like again, if that was like, if I was trading butter futures, I would trade that. I don't care because I just right. trade the math. Um, yeah. What I, what I really care about is 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 that thing real? <laughs> like back to the back right. to the crypto point. And and yes. and and you're comfortable with the not to get you into you know, analyzing sure. crane shares ETFs, but you're comfortable with these are these are real things. These certificates are real. Whatever your political opinion is doesn't matter. There's a mandate and and they trade because they're based on something. Well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So so on the regulated market, absolutely. So Europe has fleshed out their market. So if you're buying the crane shares and the underlying is the European allowances, that's an instrument that people can, you know, can, you know, take a view on with confidence. Okay. The voluntary the voluntary market is a bit different. So there's similar to how you would have, you know, a Fitch and S&P and different rating agencies. You have these certifying agencies in the voluntary market. And there's a whole movement towards harmonizing the integrity for the methodologies for a voluntary market. So I would caution anybody if there's an ETF, whether they're playing in the spot market or they're using it, access to it through an ETF, I would be very delicate with the voluntary market. We actually have a net short position in the voluntary market and we're long the, the regulated market. Hmm. And there's there's a lot of underlying reasons for 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 that trade. Yeah, it's crazy that like you know this we're not talking about um, crypto anymore, but it's it's the same point, right? I mean, I I'm yep. gonna I'm gonna go with the regulation. I'm not gonna go with this voluntary thing. Uh, it's cr- right. crazy words to use, right? I mean, like again, for tw- yeah. 20, 25 years, I've never I would never thought that you could just trade everything on an unregulated or a voluntary basis. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, yeah, it is. Okay, I so agree. on the so on these things, like what would be like what would be like the number one. Like there's biodiversity credits, there's carbon yes. credits, there's like what is like the best? What's your your best long in that space? By far the biodiversity credits, and I'll I'll explain the rationale for that. So biodiversity credits we're actually bringing to to market right now as we speak the very first international biodiversity credit trade. So this is this is a very interesting transaction, um, and so obviously this is this is me talking my own book a little bit here. What do you mean you're but bringing wanna, it? Like you're 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 it's you. What do you mean by that? You're bringing it? 
Yeah, so so the way that credits are generated is from project developers. So this is off a of Habitat Bank in Latin America. Oh, okay. We bought the cre- we bought the credits, and so this is again these are over the counter transactions. The the end buyers for these credits that retire them so that they can claim the benefits of conservation are typically multinational uh, corporates, and usually out of out of Europe. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they they buy these. So there's a um, there's a task force called the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. And what it's doing is it's following the path of what happened with climate reporting out of Europe. So in Europe, we've got scope one, scope two, and scope three reporting to look at uh, carbon footprint across supply chains. So there's now coming right behind that, but much faster, is the same type of impact reporting for, for nature. Mm. But to, to simplify that, because it can get really complicated real quick, I, I want to explain the longer term thesis. Like this is something that we're bullish for the next you know decade at least. The, the issue is as follows, Keith. Conservation doesn't really have a price. We think of that as a as a charitable aspect. But conservation, you know, nature is what underlies our entire economy. You can't build a you can't pull a barrel of oil out of the ground. You can't, you know, have clean energy, whatever you're into. You can't make computers or laptops. We, we depend on on obviously the planet to do that. So there's been a movement now for about a decade and a half to start to price what's called ecosystem services, almost like you would a utility, right? So wetland, you know, helps filter water. Okay, well, that's kind of acting as a utility. How do you start to put a price tag on that? That's now starting to come together. And what I tell people, this is, if you want to really see how how interesting this is, don't take my word for it. I want everybody listening to this right now. Just Google New York Stock Exchange and the words natural asset company. And it's amazing this has gotten almost zero attention. I haven't seen the Wall Street Journal or the FT reporting on this. So the New York Stock Exchange has filed listing standards with the SEC to create a new type of public company, which is called a natural asset company. And effectively, it would be like you and I took a habitat bank or or a piece of land conservation with endangered species, and we were able to IPO it. So if people thought the SPAC movement was interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be a whole whole different level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it's actually real. I mean, that's the other thing, you know. Like, you know, I mean, some SPACs are real, but you know, you know obviously, crypto in in many ways isn't. Um, I, I got this is yeah. I, I, that is amazing. I just looked it up. I did what you told me to do. It's a nice, yeah. b- very green looking leaf, and yeah. you know. You know the the contours of an ocean line or uh, or the the edges of a leaf are defined by fractal math. Why not uh, start to trade this stuff for real? <laughs> well, exactly. That's that's our thesis. And and what will really blow you away is when when you have some time, you know, after this, you know, the show, take a look at the video on there. And what you're going to see is a stat directly from the NYSE. The video is beautiful. You know, it's hard not to be moved by you know pretty pictures of of, of nature. You know, who doesn't enjoy nature? Um, but here's what's going to strike you as as interesting. Besides the fact that they've done this listing standard with the SEC, is that they're calculating that the value of nature on an annual basis, payment for ecosystem services, is 100 trillion dollars a year. Holy so this isn't just, cow. Yeah. Ah. So this is. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't just something that's going to be like a little niche market that's sitting over in the corner. Like we think over the next <laughs> decade, this is this this is this is this has the potential to be an interesting and significantly sized asset class. I had zero idea. Not like like I mean, yes, I, nobody, I don't I had <laughs> I but if I'm going to trade like milk futures, I'm definitely going to trade wetlands. I mean, this is this is of a course. 
You know, it's 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 really, and I do think that this is at least for me, like if you don't mind me saying, mm-hmm. but I mean, from, from my perspective, mm-hmm. if you give me the price, volume, and volatility of any asset, and it, there's a real underlying, mm-hmm. then I know what to do with it. I mean, at, at least yeah, at the, at exactly. the, in terms of the at at the base layer. So for me, this is really exciting uh, because we get yeah. away from, okay, let's go believe this guy with a ticker mm-hmm. that's Nikola that he rolls a truck down the hill and it says that it actually that. works. I mean, this is like. There's so many things that you know suck the people into believing because they want to yes. believe that there's something different than the bullshit that Wall Street or all the scams right. and frauds. So there's a there's exactly. a there's there's an unbelievable demand. But now what you're saying is here come the underlying. Like this is a this is a yes. major. How long has the New York Stock Exchange been working on this one? I believe that they filed the listing standards at the end of 2021. Okay. And um, so it's it's in process. Nobody's done one yet. I don't think the listing standards have been uh, approved, but it's it's well in process. And you're going to see, I'm telling you, Keith, this stuff is coming like a freight train. When when you kind of peel back a couple of the layers and you look at the, the macro stuff going on underneath, you know, take a look at what's happening at at the COP27 and the COP15 event. So COP27, that made, you know, several headlines globally because that's where carbon's being talked about. You know, all the politicians, you know, yeah. flying on their private jets and, you know, they make all these stupid, you know, emissions in the air, <laughs> just like just just like Davos. It's a complete hypocrisy. But here's what people weren't paying attention to. What people don't know is that the United Nations runs a parallel conference, which is dedicated to biodiversity. And that parallel conference is called COP15. That was the last one that they did in December of last year in Montreal. And what came out of that, that again, you know, unless you're kind of, you know, watching this niche sector, most people, you know, would be forgiven for not having familiarity with it, is that what came out of that was the equivalent of the Paris Agreement, but Mm -hmm. for conserving nature. Now, this is a lot more useful because, again, to, to your observation, we're getting to the underlying. So we're, we're bearish ESG equities and bonds. We think that that's just a lot of fictitious nonsense. But the underlying, we're very bullish what we would call, you know, environmental commodities. We think that there's a, a legitimate, yep. you know, a, a legitimate case for, for those asset classes to exist. Yeah, one of one of the best investors that I know. It's he's not a billionaire for no reason. Um, always says this, you know, like he always says, look, th- these elements of nature, and there are a lot of them that have traded, you know, for a long, long time that that aren't new. Like I mean, if, if I tell you right. that you should start to think about buying rhodium, uh, you know how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, um, right. and he's he's made so much money over the years just playing a game that he believes in. And that not as many people participate in. There are many more people that are right. trying to get Google and Apple right every single day than obviously doing something exactly. like that. Um, but this would be, you know, right up his alley. It's right up my alley, obviously. Um, this is this is this is really interesting. I didn't know most of it. The last question on this because I want to get to the next topic. But um, sure. so NYSE, that just implies that we're going to actually have listed tickers. Yes, that's correct. So how you know, like can you give me an example of like how that might look like we're going to have a ticker for water we're going to have a ticker for I mean yeah the- not not the not the commodity but think of it like I'll give you an example how we how we're speculating that this would play out with this new instrument so in the in the United States we're, we're familiar because a lot of habitat banking the the concept you know has been around for decades in the United States and what would happen is if a developer comes in and they're going to be developing you know a new apartment complex you know in or near a wetland they would then have to offset the damage to that wetland by preserving another sector of that in perpetuity. Okay, so that's that's kind of the original, you know, area where this came from, and now this is is spreading globally. The idea is as follows: you come in, and let's say you put a, a trust or land easement together that is going to preserve and conserve that nature. Okay, and then you can take that entity 
And you can list that on the NYSE to raise the capital to protect that conservation. Got That's it. how it works. And then the cash flow from that to make cash flows on that nature and to kind of create a, you know, a, a dividend, if you will, would be selling biodiversity credits on an annualized basis based on the, the value of the payment for ecosystem services. Hmm. Wow. This is yeah, different this stuff. Is, <laughs> this is cool. This is cool, man. Uh, and and yeah. the other side of the trade, I mean, there are so many things that I'm thinking about. I have to keep thinking, <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. I, I can be much more. I can be higher conviction shorting ESG frauds because because yes, you're going to replace all the market cap that's been allocated, the bullshit that's been allocated to that. I mean, people call correct. things like like Ball Corp um, or like yeah. whatever ESG. They, I mean, they have plastic it's in absurd. the cans. I mean, it's like. No, it's, it's absurd. It's, but you know, it's whatever. Uh, I can go on and on and on, but the, but you're going to replace the bullshit with market cap that's actually allocated to the underlying that is you environment. It. You know, okay, I get it. I mean, that that's really yep. cool. That's a that's a yeah. big short trade too, uh, and it's also it it's also inflationary. You know, you, yes. when you create like an ongoing asset, when an asset class can be marked to market, you know, that you have to have, Correct. and there's a scarcity value of the underlying. That sounds uh, longer term structurally inflationary to me. I would agree with you. Okay, good. We don't disagree with much yet, and that's partly because <laughs> because ninety nine percent of what you told me so far I don't know, so I wouldn't know how to disagree. But uh, give me. It's, it sounds like you're going to have to give me like another half decade or a decade to catch up to you on this stuff, and then maybe I'll disagree. No, and then, no, and, no. and when I do, I'll probably be wrong anyway. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so um, the third topic. This is like I literally went to. Um, I went to to Rob Milburn, who's one of my partners here. I'm like, does uh-huh. this, this is this right? Like, are you just like fucking with me? Like, I sometimes these guys <laughs> could put it in the notes that you might want to talk about sure. something else. It, but it's like you want to talk about galactic macro and UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep, okay. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. I actually, ironically enough, right before this, it, uh-huh. complete irony, I shorted a, an ETF that is the ticker is literally UFO. Um, oh really? But I it's didn't know there was one. but it's bullshit, yeah. right? It's like SpaceX yeah. or whatever. It's like it got um, all the. It's like shorting Lucid or Nikola, like you know, it's like one of these ETFs. It's just that's you know, people have really been fleeced, right? I mean, they create ETFs Completely. that give you a perception that you'd like to be long, but it's got like yes. Gerber Kawasaki inside it. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> yep. So so what I is ga- galactic macro? Yeah, so this was just kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, something that I started saying on Twitter, I don't know, about a, uh, about a year ago. And and the the reason for it is that in 2017, so as first of all, let me kind of back up and put this in chronological order so people don't think I've I've lost my marbles. Is that <laughs> you know, as a as a, as a Gen Xer, you know, growing up on X-Files and ET and Independence Day and all this stuff, you know, the the whole kind of UFO and sci-fi theme is is something that, you know, we grew up with, right? And this was, you know, household, you know, uh, dinner table conversation. My dad was into, you know, reading books on this stuff. And so for fun, I had a lot of familiarity with it just growing up as a kid because it was a household topic. But when this became a an actual serious topic from a career perspective, when we started looking at this was in 2017. So in, in doing discretionary macro, one of the things we look at is like we we try and track interesting 
potential pivotal policy uh, changes. Mm -hmm. So Fit for 55, which relates to the, you know, the, the changes for climate in Europe is one of those. It's a big, big policy thing, but amazingly, a lot of people aren't really, you know, tracking it closely. So in 2017, what happened and the reason that UFOs are relevant, and that's hence the, the galactic macro, you know, tag, is that in 2017, the Department of Defense did something they'd never, ever, ever done previously, is that they acknowledged full chain of custody on the release of UFO videos that were published. So the New York Times published this in December of 20, uh, 2017. And I stepped back and I said, holy crap, this is insane. I, I, I can't even believe that it's real that, you know, New York Times is covering this. DOD is a, a acknowledging that. And to, to jump you forward real quick here, Keith, is that that has now led over the last five years to two versions of our National Defense Authorization Act 2022 and the most recent one that was passed in December of last year, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2023. Within that, you're going to find 38 pages dedicated to providing resources and an intelligence collection agency for the entire intel community on this phenomenon. And what's going on here is that, as I always explain to people, so I, I always look for things that might have inflection points with exponential movements. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is that we have our own military, credible, credible, credible people, plus backed up by data. So I'm not a guy that just like, hey, you know, somebody thought they saw a UFO in the clouds. You want to see radar and sensor data that's been validated and ideally multiple sources of that, which we now have. That information now exists and has been documented. These guys are seeing stuff in our airspace that is defying every known physics that we understand. And the, the understanding, too, is that this is not our adversaries, that this is being cited as off-world craft. That is a real quote, off-world craft. That is, what's in, that is what's in documents in our current congressional hearings right now. So this is not a small issue, and this is mind-bending, too, because if this is the case, and we do believe it to be so, then, then this opens – this is going to change the ratio of questions to answers enormously, right? There's going to – for every answer we get out of this, you're going to have a 1,000 questions that spring up from it. And so we're spending a lot of time looking at that and, and trying to understand how this is going to play out, because without a doubt, this is going to have impacts on, on, on markets. If I mean, I'm long defense stocks, not defensive stocks, yep. but you know, uh, military stocks, for example. And of the top 10 reasons I'm long those, this is not one. Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> but, but of all that intelligence, is it embedded in, it, in, in the public equities or is, is, it, is it impossible to say no to that question? Yes, yeah, so what we believe is so we're long the defense companies as well. Okay. And for the for the for the reasons that we're you know, that we're pro both probably long those plus the UFO aspect. What we believe, sincerely, having really, really dug into this, and not just like, you know, over a month or a weekend and you know, drinking some beers and smoking a joint looking at this like <laughs> Like really like looking Is that how you it. roll? <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, we've peeled back the layers and we actually believed that this technology is sitting with U.S. defense contractors. Awesome. That they have, yeah, which is, is mind-blowing. So, you know, as I, I was commenting to, you know, Brant Williams, who you know and is a great guy, you know, saying that this is something that we have to think about is that if they're sitting on this and we believe that they are, does that make defense companies energy companies? Because you're now talking about a type yeah. of energy that's com completely different than, you know, like, look, you know, who's not a uranium bull, right? Like all of us in macro have been talking about uranium for, for several years. Lots of interesting, you know, trades with that. Um, 
But this is a very, very different, you know, very, very different viewpoint. If we have anti-gravitics and we have power sources that, you know, are, you know, very, very different than what we've been familiar with, that's a game changer. Dude, anti-gravity technology? I mean, my whole my whole yeah. fractal system is going to be screwed with something like that. <laughs> uh, it's like, um, wow. I mean, are you are, are you willing to share like a well, the best thing that you could come up with is yeah. some some squirrely small to mid cap defense stock that has a ton of this embedded in yeah. it and nobody knows about it yet. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we, we believe that it's probably, you know, the majority of it's in the hands of Lockheed and, and Northrop Grumman. Um, so I think that those are those are great plays for that. They're great companies regardless. Um, but we believe that they are sitting on that tech, that they actually understand the tech, that they've had that tech for for decades. Um, and again, this is a this is a game changer. This is a game changer for the United States from a military aspect. And a game changer from the energy aspect. I mean, just across the board, it's very hard to unpack the the implications of that coming out. And we would suggest to you, Keith, that 2023 is actually the inflection point. So right now we have congressmen and women who have seen from the intelligence community and the the um, you know the the military community. We have videos. There's 20. There's a video that's 23 minutes long. That's high definition. And you've got senators coming out of seeing these, you know, these closed session you know, meetings, and they're saying that it feels like they just stepped out of a Star Wars movie. This <laughs> is happening right now. This is stuff that is known, that is documented. And, and the other piece that we'd say and the reason that we think that 2023 is an inflection point is because this also becomes a political piece of leverage. So it's a bit of game theory here. That if you, look at like, you mean like leverage. against China and Russia? Yes, not only against China and Russia, but also for a politician. So what you're already starting to see is you're and this just happened and this was driven by what's happened over the United States with the shootdowns of, you know, UAPs. And I'm not suggesting that those are, you know, off craft vehicles. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I, I don't know. But we shot down a balloon. NORAD for the first time in U.S. history shot down, you know, four things over U.S. airspace, only one of which we know, which was the balloon. The other three, we're still not sure what it is. And nobody's actually provided the evidence of what's, you know, crashed on the ground and in the water. Um, what you're seeing politicians do is you're seeing the politicians starting to jockey for this conversation because there's three or four politicians that help get the National Defense Authorization Act passed with this language in it. So take a look at Marco Rubio. A couple of years ago, he was on 60 Minutes talking about this very thing just from a national security perspective. Um, you're going to see, I think this is part of what's going to push the conversation and the information is going to leak out a lot faster than it would have in previous years because there's a political dimension to it as you know politicians you know position themselves accordingly. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? Like off-world craft? I mean, as soon as one yeah. of these 5,000 Republican presidential candidates you know, started spouting off, why don't they start with that? I mean, they'll get some attention at least. And they will. <laughs> it's particularly in this. Will. Like, how is it? And by the way, if you have questions, I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. a little surprised that we don't have a lot more questions so far, but it's probably because they don't know. Um, if you have questions, mm -hmm. obviously, for... Uh, pertaining to anything we've talked about so far, just uh, fire them in the queue, the, mm -hmm. and, and I'll ask them. Um, but it's, um, you know, this you, the point that you made on, I was, I was having a conversation with uh, an investor actually about this the other day. It's like, mm -hmm. how does, like, first of all, I don't believe that they don't know what these other three things are. I mean, do you exactly. believe that? Do you believe that? No, they, they, they for sure know. They I absolutely mean, know what they are. Okay, so they know what they are. Um, why wouldn't they be? Uh, why maybe we did shoot down an off-world craft? We have before. That's what you know. And what's interesting, Keith, for you is 
Included in this National Defense Authorization Act, this is the other reason you're going to see a lot of information come forward, is that there's whistleblower protection. And so people that were part of secret access programs previously, you know, that's a very, very delicate thing. You can't just come and jeopardize a top security clearance. So the protection in this year's um, legislation provides coverage for anybody that's retired or active in those. They can come to ARO, which is the I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but that's the the, the government uh, agency that's set up now to collect all this. You can now come forward and reveal that. And from what's being said, these people are coming forward. You have people that have reached out to Congress that were part of these, you know, these secret act uh, programs. And this stuff is going to come rolling out. So the idea that we don't know what it is, I mean, look, we have, you know, we have cameras in all these, you know, all our all our military aircraft. All of them have it. You just saw yesterday posted um, from 60,000 feet up in the air from one of our, our, our spy airplanes, a picture of the, uh, the balloon, the Chinese balloon. They yeah, this uh, I was literally just looking it up, this U-2 spy plane picture, um, you know, and, and it's got the, you know, these things, they're there, right? I mean, it, it, is, it's not even possible that, that you would have, a, a you know, with, with a pilot in it, something, you shoot anything down, including like a bird, without them no, not knowing what it is. It, to that's me, that's exactly right. It's absurd. Um, so well, was, and that they can't collect it either is absurd, right? Like, I mean, we just, and people are like, oh, well, the planes are going too fast. It's in harsh environments in Alaska. Well, you, you just fly a chopper over, drop off one of our own drones and just hover down and, and go look at it. Like, yeah. There's there's way more information they have. I, I don't buy the narrative that they're, they're selling us. <laughs> so people are probably thinking, well, do we shoot down like a Martian? Like, I mean, it's like, uh, maybe I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm I, I, my partner Michael Bloom is going to go off with me on this because like we're on two different <laughs> like uh, he's been amazed and fascinated with this for a long long time and I'm like dude I don't know um, there's so much I don't it's know interesting. wow um it, I, I mean it, what you've already said a couple massive things like whether it be off mm-hmm. you know off world craft or these biodiversity mm-hmm. credits I mean these are just things that people don't talk about in markets Correct. you know like I'm sure Correct. that there is. Like I'm, I'm the certified idiot that's for the first time just learning about it. But, I, but I'm, I'm certain that there, are mu- there's a much broader world talking about that than, than is actually trading Google today. I mean, it's, 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 it's got to be a fascination amongst many. So, uh, wow. Uh, okay, um, I'll take the first question, you know, from somebody else because I can keep going, sure. obviously, <laughs> with you on this stuff. Um, uh, actually, this is kind of more of a, uh, this is a in the weeds question because you did mention Signature Bank. Uh, at the beginning sure. of the discussion. So any thoughts on that? Seems to be a lot of smoke around this one, sim- as similar, JW says, to Silvergate. Yeah, so, and, and with good reason, right? I think that Signature's got the same problems that Silvergate does. And and just for people to understand, the, the tech that they were providing was really not any type of, you know, breakthrough technology. What Signature and Silvergate provided to the crypto community was, one, just access to fiat dollars. That was by far the most important. But the way that they sold that to everybody as some sort of amazing thing and, and got their stocks lifted was that they gave you the ability to, to do transactions 24 hours a day. 365 days a year. But that's really not accurate. So, so Keith, if you and I bank at the same bank, 
Okay, and the bank just debits your accounts and credits mine or vice versa. They could do that 24 hours a day, 365. They don't have to use the ACH system nor the Fed wire system to facilitate that transaction. It's just internal accounting. So all they did was just turn on their accounting systems and leave them on all day long. That's how they attracted the the crypto uh, community. So I think that they're, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time on on Signature, um, but for sure they have the same AML KYC holes that, you know, Silvergate did. Because if you're facilitating banking and and, um, for crypto uh, companies, you're you're screwed, in my opinion. You're a zero. Like you're just you. You're totally done. I mean, willful blind. Uh, we, we talked about this through a different lens this morning. Our our our, um, our legal policy analyst Paul Glencher was talking about willful blindness. I mean, and yes. um, I mean, that's not a defense. No, exactly, not at all. You're go, you're you're, you're going to be wearing the orange jumpsuit. <laughs> exactly. Well, this stock. I mean, I, I haven't traded this one. This is this is going to be in my. Uh, I can't believe I didn't know that either. I mean, there's. Uh, I'd say that this is the highest percentage of th- in, in time spent in a conversation on real conversations. This is the highest percentage of things said that I didn't know so far in one in 15 years. Uh, I got lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome, man. Um, cool. I, this is like more more of a boilerplate question, and and you've hit on some things. And I don't know if you do have like the biggest you know risk reward opportunity that you mm-hmm. that you see in discretionary macro. But do you have an answer to that? I don't think that there's any singular um, trade. I think that it's it's a grouping of, of trades. Yep. You know, one of the, the things that we're we're watching very carefully is is China and Mexico. You know, and I don't think that that's a it's a it's a completely original idea. There's we're, we're moving into a world that's fragmented. Right. Again, not new. We can see the conflict with, with China is, is increasing along with Russia and everything else um, we do have. So even though we do macro, you know, my team, we're actually based in Latin America. So we have a we have a pulse for LATAM. Uh, type activity better than anything else just because we're actually living in these markets. And in Mexico, you can see it. So one of the interesting things with Mexico to give people an idea for kind of the flow coming out of China and moving over to, to Mexico is industrial um, vacancies right now is like one and a half percent. So wow. you, you can't go you can't get a, a qualified, you know, uh, you know, warehouse that's got, you know, ports for you to bring your stuff in. I mean, it's just it's all full. And there's a lot of stuff being set up down there. So Mexico is very interesting and Mexico's got its own challenges internally. But that's a very interesting trade. Um, I'll tell you another one that we did last year that's that's very cool. People can pull up and, and take a look at. And I don't think this trade is as is done by any means is one of our favorite currency trades last year was long the Singapore dollar and, and short the renminbi. Oh. So, you know, yeah. So long SGD, uh, you know, short CNY. And if you pull that up and take a look at it. The thesis behind that trade was that, you know, we've traded Hong Kong, uh, you know, assets, equities and bonds and everything for a long time. And over the last six years, we started tracking, you know, Beijing's encroachment on on Hong Kong, which is to us now Hong Kong's just screwed. It's like it's it's done. It's it's years as a financial center are completely over, in our opinion. And so we asked ourselves, if that's the case, you know, where will where will money go regionally? And Singapore being Hong Kong's, you know, best competitor is was the logical answer for that. So we said, you know, as wealth squeezes out, because normally that wealth squeezes through Hong Kong from 
from the mainland to Hong Kong and then out to broader markets. We said we think that that money, a lot of private wealth is going to get redeposited in Singapore um, for convenience and familiarity. And and that's going to create some pretty heavy flow out of China that routes down into to Singapore. And to us, you know, that, that's you know, that was a great currency trade. I think you're going to see some similar things with, you know, carefully looking at the Mexican peso versus the, you know, versus the renminbi, which is a little bit nicer because you can get some positive carry there. You know, the Singapore dollar trade was a, was a negative uh, carry trade, but it had enough movement in the exchange rate to, to more than justify it. Mexico, you can actually get some, some very nice positive carry along with that. So uh, Mexico is an interesting, you know, macro trade that, you know, has got a lot of, a lot of pieces that can, you know, be analyzed off of it. Yeah, that's a, that's obviously a big theme. Um, the, do you often express it in FX and not in equity, or do you bo- do both? We do both. We do both. So okay. it just really depends. But we do use FX a lot. What do you think about long China? I'm I'm currently long China. I've been after being bearish on it for two years. It started out sure. nicely, and now the moving monkeys are all you know yelling at me um, because you know yeah. it, it lost some momentum. But I had an interesting conversation with a client yesterday mm-hmm. where his clients were yelling at him. For taking a two percent position in China, based on really? what you know, because we went bullish on China, so he's like a yeah. this, and, and it's been a while for you. And I was like, the amount. Uh, first of all, I started laughing. I was like, really? Like you guys had to like? You're, it's it, basically an asset manager telling me that it's not worth their time to have to answer to to angry clients for buying anything China. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow. Right. Okay, well, as a as a new bull, yeah. I guess that's a that's a good indicator, but. What do you think yes. about that? What do you think about China? Not about the, the, the example that I gave, but yeah. what, do you, what do you think about long China here? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. You Equity, know, I'm talking about, know, not, not, not bonds or, you know, or currency or anything like that. Yeah, so I think the bull case would be as, as, as follows. You know, interestingly enough, you know, a lot of people don't trade you know, Taiwan, but Taiwan's stock market's up, I think, 11 12% for the year, great. year yeah. to date. Yeah. yeah, it's been good, been a, been a good market. Most people would think that, you know, wouldn't even think about it. So I, I think that, one, China's going to have to stimulate. Right. Which will be, you know, will put a lot of liquidity into the equities. I think that as they as they fragment is that, you know, we know that there's been a bubble in Chinese real estate, you know, that's been evolving for a very, very long time. Right. So that's that's a negative. But the the fundamentals of flows for that is is very interesting. One of the reasons that Chinese real estate, you know, had a bubble in it was because there weren't a lot of options for the Chinese for where they could put their money. Right. So they've got a, a, a closed system. You can't really get money out of the country so so easily. That's going to be applicable to their stocks as well. So so their stock market is they start to stimulate and Chinese are looking for something as an alternative versus, you know, stuff again in real estate and buying a second or third apartment in a ghost city. Then then you can make a very bullish argument for money flowing into to those those equities. So mm-hmm. I think that there's a I think there's a, a very reasonable short term to, to midterm uh, trade there. Yeah. I talked to a guy. Uh, I'll get you his name. I actually talked to a guy the other day that I just met. He's at uh, ICBC in Hong Kong, and he had one of the most interesting, you know, macro analysis on on Asia that I'd heard. And you know, his his view in summary is that the the real estate issue set aside all the geopolitics related to China for a moment, and just the you know this slow moving train wreck that's still you know accumulating from the real estate sector is going to cause, you know, two lost decades of growth in, in China. 
very interesting guy. I, I, I have to get you his contact information because he's he's much more knowledgeable being over there on it than I am. So that's my kind of limited view on it. Yeah, the problem, I, that's obviously my main problem. If you take the secular, the demographic, the long-term issues in China, you definitely would not be long of those. And here I am, you know, right. long it. I mean, locally, it's interesting. I mean, Shanghai, Shenzhen, I mean, Shanghai Composite Index hit a new yeah. cycle high only two days ago. So you, and you see yeah, it on, that, on that volume side, you see a lot of what they call northbound connect volume, right? So you're seeing, exactly. you know, whereas the real you know, panic, and not even panic, but it's just like, I can't be wrong on something like K-Web for like five days where people lose their minds. Um, but it's, right. it's, it's not the same. It's like U.S. listed. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting one. Here's a, I, I got to ask this question before we go. I knew we were going to get questions about like, Sure. A- aliens. All right. So um, in- in- inevitably, yeah, it's <laughs> a good question because I don't know shit about aliens. Like, I don't know. I don't I've never even <laughs> s- I just going to embarrass myself once again. But I, I haven't even watched X-Files. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, no worries. <laughs> but Malcolm Hamilton. OK, he says, if aliens can navigate the universe and come to Earth, wouldn't they be able to avoid our attempts to shoot them down? OK, <clears throat> So we you, you actually this. have an answer to this? <laughs> I have, believe it or not, yeah, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, we've spent, we've spent an, a very unusual uh, amount of time on these very things. So, so if you guys want, so here's a couple resources to answer that question. There's on the, um, it's either Nash, uh, Discovery Channel, National Geographic, one, one of those channels, you can find it. There's a, there's a show called Unidentified. And okay. it's a documentary series, and and they kind of go through these these different things. And it was done over the last couple of years, so it's current. And one of the things that we we know from records, and not just in the United States, but internationally. And so there's an episode on there that works with uh, UFO investigators in in Italy, is that we do know how to track the signatures on many of these craft. So we know how to spot them when they transition into our atmosphere. One of the things that we've learned how to do is is spot them when they transition from our atmosphere and into the ocean and vice versa, from the ocean back into our atmosphere, which is pretty wild. So these things are moving around in the ocean a whole bunch, you know, 400 knots, you know, per hour, faster than anything else we have. Yeah, <laughs> mind-blowing stuff. I know. Absolutely mind-blowing. So the, the – the, we – we do know that, you know, us and Russians have, have shot these things down over the years. One of the questions is, and we also know that they that they play with our aircraft. So if you go look at the, the best documented one most recently, which is the, the USS Nimitz case, which was in 2004 off the coast of San Diego. That's the biggest case that's been in the news. Like everybody knows that one. Those guys, have, you know, the pilots that were involved in that have been on show after show after show after show. Super credible pilots. And in those situations, the UFOs just ran literally, quite literally, just ran circles around them. You know, they couldn't even get close, you know, forget being able to shoot them down. So we do know there's instances where they've been shot down because we can track some of their signatures. And we know there's instances where they play with us. And there are reports suggesting that we've been allowed to, that they have the capability to just zip off, but they allowed us to shoot them down. Hmm. Now, is that passing technology to us? who knows maybe that's one theory so so there's a there's a lot of strange stuff when you go down this rabbit hole um and again we're, we're data driven we we want to look at not just you know x files here but we want to actually look at data and say what the hell's going on here um so you're seeing a little bit of all of that so so yes they have the capabilities but it, it does seem that we've successfully you know taken them down as well wow 
Okay, uh, I got some, wow. I, got, no, I, I have some, I have some uh, binge watching uh, to do this weekend. Yeah. Uh, last question, sure. and this one actually is one of the few things I do know something about, which is uranium, and you mentioned it. And we're, there's yes. some questions on that. So just to finish, like, what are your thoughts on being long uranium here? You know, um, to be fair, I'm always wrong on it. You know, so it's a tough so one. Long term, it's, hard it's to a very trade. tough one, right? It's very hard to trade. What I would like to see is, you know, I think this is. I think it would be great to have a, a proper derivatives instrument for it. I'd mm-hmm. like to see a, a, a well-developed commodities futures market for it. I think that would support it. And and we don't have that yet, right? That's just not, it's not really existing. Um, so yes, I mean, I share the bullish thesis, I'm sure for the same reason as, you know, everybody. Uh, I don't have a unique view on it. I do think that it's interesting, you know, paying attention to, to Japan, um, and this was, you know, this was through the conversation with the, the gentleman the other day from ICBC. He lived in Japan for 10 years. And what he was noting is he said, you know, keep keep an eye on on Japan, you know, getting nuclear turned back on because it's such a big component of their, you know, their inflation metrics. And I thought that's interesting. I haven't really dove into that to to piece that apart. And you guys are experts at this type of stuff. You guys know how to dismantle these things and, and really dive in. Um, so I think that, you know, we need it. We need we, we need nuclear more than ever. And this is part of you know one of the other things that we're spending a lot of energy on right now is is trying to pick apart. You know, in Europe, we've got the fit for 55. And because we trade environment, environmental assets, we're also trying to take apart the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. You know, and I always joke that's ironically named because it's probably going to cause inflation rather than reduce it. <laughs> but as, as most government policies would. But. Hopefully within that, we will see a, um, you know, a resurgence of, of, you know, nuclear facilities. We need them. There, there, there is no possibility in our mind other than UFO technology, right? But there is no possibility of getting to a, a green, clean future without, you know, nuclear power. And, and it's just, it's, it's an obvious thing to have. So we remain bullish. That's that's cool, man. Well, I want to be long of nuclear power, uranium, and I don't want this anti-gravity thing coming into my world anytime soon. But <laughs> that doesn't mean it won't. Um, thanks yeah. for thanks for coming into my world, like into the Hedge Nation community. I mean, it's um, this is what? easily like I frequently get to meet somebody like a, a great macro mind, uh, as I think many would will will now conclude uh, that I you know you don't just get to meet people like you all the time. Um, so uh, you know, Thank thanks you. For, thanks for just like. You know, just taking everyone in a real, in a real definitive way in, into a go anywhere macro, you know, macro, macro conversation, and and um, and I'll look forward to the next one if you'll make the time. So thank you. Absolutely, Keith. Honor to be with you guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. He's he's David Dort. Now, like, who's gonna, <laughs> who's not gonna follow this guy? I mean, he, first of all, he's not. I mean, he's. I think his Twitter account. I'm gonna make a call. I my big macro call is that David Dort's Twitter account. His follower count is going to double, like, now. Okay? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations, brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. 
Hedge is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.